Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that we are and all that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ and we pray now as we reflect on who he is, his love, his humility, his service, that we would be so shaped by it that we might love and serve each other in great humility. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I hope you had fun last Sunday at our All Together Day. I found it hugely encouraging a hugely encouraging day personally. Uh, I know our whole church wasn't here, but there were about 160 of us throughout the day who heard some challenging sermons and encouraging sermons from Ephesians about our identity and our purpose as a church. We ate together, we sang together, we were served by the generosity and skill of those around us. We relaxed in the park and around the barbecue and over pizza at the end. And it's been wonderful hearing your feedback throughout the week and I thank you for it. Uh, The feedback from various places in our church uh, that has been overwhelmingly positive about the impact of gathering together like that in uh, a a concerted way, in a, a long way, spending long and precious time together around God's word. Why don't we do it more often, you say? Well, why don't you, I say? Our Sunday services are here every week. Our Sundays exist every week. Why don't you plan to double dip sometime? To come morning and evening, maybe invite others to join you to have dinner afterwards or lunch in the middle of the day. And uh, we're thinking at a staff level about some ways that we can help us more generally along those lines as well. Uh, during the first session last week when the kids were in here with us, uh, filling out their kind of kid packs that were so expertly put together, uh, my daughter had a little moment, a moment of revelation as she was sitting there listening to Chase and kind of looking past him to the screen and the image that you can see on the screen right now, she exclaimed in the middle of the sermon, that's the rhyme. It's the rhyme that we were taught in library. Which I think is kind of cool too, that they were taught it at school. And we're all going to do it together. Ready? This is a test of your coordination. Can you interlock your fingers? Right? Here is the church, there is the steeple. Open up the door and there are the the people, if you did it right. If you didn't quite get there, there's nothing inside. <laughs> right? Here, here's my version, ready? It doesn't rhyme. Here is the church and there is the steeple that we're thankful we don't have. Open up the doors that are starting to stick and be a bit difficult at the moment and there is the church. Right? Hopefully that makes perfect sense to you after the last five weeks to think that when you think about the church, it's not the steeple and the heavy doors and the stained glass windows. It's not the organisation and the structures. The church is the people. The people of God gathered in Christ around the Word of God by the Spirit of God. The church is God's people gathered together. And I hope that um, it makes sense to you, therefore, that across this series, the last five Sundays, 
The kinds of responses that we've been calling for aren't structural responses. They're not structures to do, um, responses to do with our structures and our organisation and our groups, though they're good and important things to help our church run. The responses that we've been calling for from God's word are personal responses for us as people to do in light of who we are and who we are together. They are responses that are people-focused, not structure-focused. And as you think back over the last five weeks, and we do a little bit of blue-sky thinking, and imagine if, what would it be like if All Saints Petersham, even more than it already is, was a gathering of people who were committed to God's gathering? who were committed to service within Christ's body, who were committed to growing in holiness as his bride, who were committed to building each other up in love as part of Christ's building, who were committed to loving each other as Christ's family. They're the kinds of responses that we want to call for from God's word in light of who we are and who Jesus' church is meant to be in this world. And so as we try to pull those threads together this morning, we want to finish this series by looking to Jesus, the husband of the bride, the cornerstone of the building, Jesus, the head of the church, the one by whom and for whom and through whom the church is gathering and will be gathered for all eternity in the joy of his presence. We want to look to Jesus because Jesus needs to be not just the shape of our love and service of each other as part of his church, but Jesus needs to be the source of our love and our service of each other. Because here's the key, right? This isn't just a call within this series for us to follow Jesus more as an example, though that's definitely true, especially if you read Philippians chapter 2. But what we need is to be people who are shaped by the love and service of Jesus. You cannot love Jesus until you've been loved by Jesus. You cannot serve Jesus until you've been served by Jesus. So we want to look at his love and service of us in humility so that in response as changed, transformed disciples of Jesus we might then therefore love and serve each other in humility. That's what we want to see this morning. So we want to look at his love. We want to look at his humility. We want to look at his service of us so that we might then love and serve each other. In humility. Philippians 2 begins, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. It's the love of Jesus that is meant to shape us, that is meant to comfort us, that is meant to unite us. 
When you think about his love, that great verse of the Bible that always springs to mind is John 3.16, which I do hope we keep teaching our kids to memorise. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. How much has God loved the world? How has God so loved you that he gave, that he gave of himself in the person of his son in the most costly and sacrificial way in order to bring you to eternal life that you may not perish but enjoy him forever? We know it's true, don't we, from our own experience, from our own relationships in our families, in our community, in our workplace, even in church. The most healthy relationships of love exist when you give of yourself in love for the sake of the other. We know that relationships work best, they're at their healthiest, when they're not full of self-seeking, self-serving people. We know that a self-serving person will distort a marriage relationship. That a self-serving person will distort a workplace relationship. We know all too well from our own experience that love in relationship works best when you give of yourself for the sake of the other and Jesus does that like no one else ever could and like no one else ever would for you. Look at his love. Secondly, look at his humility. Rather, in, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, verse 3. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. How does Jesus shape our humility? Well, in your relationships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to be grasped hold of, held onto, but rather he made himself nothing. Do you see the movement there? Jesus, in very nature God, didn't hold on to that position and that power and that privilege for himself but let go of it to use his privilege, to use his power, to use his position for the sake of others, making himself nothing, taking on our humanity, being made in the image of man and a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Jesus' humility in giving himself up for the good of others. This week I watched um, a Netflix comedy special, which is one of my fun things that I like to do, but this was a different one. It wasn't as fun as they normally are. I don't know if you've seen Hannah Gadsby's Netflix special called Nanette. It's not family friendly viewing. And it's a different kind of comedy. Very sharp wit mixed with very painful personal experience. 
in the midst of her heartbreakingly honest Netflix special when Hannah Gatsby says she's quitting comedy. This is what she says. She says, I've built a career out of self-deprecating humour and I don't want to do that anymore. Because do you understand what self-deprecation means when it comes from somebody who already exists in the margins? It's not humility, it's humiliation. I think her testimony reminds us of why we must be seeking to share the life-giving news of Jesus in our community and reminds us of what humility actually looks like. Humility isn't about having a low view of yourself. It's about having God's view of yourself. It's about having a realistic, God-sighted view of who you are. That you are so loved that he would send his one and only son to die for you. Humility isn't supposed to come from a place of insecurity, but absolute security, eternal security. Having a right view of who you are in Christ, that in Christ, trusting in Jesus, you are eternally secure, eternally loved, eternally provided for. And it's because of that security, because of your value, because of how you've been loved, how you're secure, how you're provided for, that you're able to then be released from thinking about your own interests and needs. To give up your rights, to let go of your position and your privilege and power just like Jesus did for the sake of others. In Christ you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. So you don't need to worry about your value, about your satisfaction, about your purpose and meaning. You have it in spades, in Christ. And so you can turn away from yourself to serve the interests of others above yourself. You are free in humility, to serve others. I think it was C.J. Mahaney who wrote that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking about yourself less. And you can do that because your status is guaranteed by Jesus in his death and resurrection. So you can serve with humility and sacrifice to give yourself for the sake of others. Our consumer culture, friends, is driven by the fear of missing out. It's driven by an insatiable desire for value and meaning and satisfaction that the things of this world cannot provide and that we have in abundance in Jesus. And so, in humility, value others above yourself. Look at his humility. Look at his love. Look at his service. That Jesus doesn't grasp hold of position and power. He doesn't claim his rights but lays them aside and he gives himself for the sake of others. 
And if we're to be a church <clears throat> that's committed to the gathering of God's people, to serving within the body, to holiness as his bride, to growth as the building, to love as a family, then we need to keep looking to Jesus' love and his humility and his service. And if we do that, it will totally transform the way we view church. What it's here for, what we contribute towards it, rather than what we take from it. I love how sometimes those life teaching moments just get handed to you on a platter. Uh, I had one on Friday night. Levi and I were at baseball and he had just hit his first career Grand Slam home run. If you don't know what that means, you should ask him at morning tea. So we had to celebrate. And so what do you do to celebrate? You go to McDonald's, of course, at Ashfield on the way home. And as we ordered our food and we're getting it, just out of the blue, randomly, Levi says, why do you think people don't come to church more? Well, Levi, I think it's because people view church like McDonald's. Some people think it's bad for you, so they don't come. Some people think it's a sometimes food and you only come to church like you do McDonald's when you feel like, oh, I really feel like a bit of that. Some people think of it as good for the family holidays occasionally at Christmas and Easter when you're driving up the freeway. Right? It's good for that occasional family gathering but serves no other function. And common to each of those views of McDonald's and church is that it's a product to be consumed rather than a family of people to be served whose lives you get to be involved in and contribute to. If we know that church is family, and we're here to contribute, not consume, then that'll totally change the way we view things. So thinking over the last five weeks, are you committed to God's gathering as part of his people? Are you committed to serve within the body? Do you come to give or to take? contribute or consume? Are you committed to holiness as his bride? Wanting to become more like Jesus? Wanting the people of God to keep you accountable? Are you committed to growth in the building? Do you pray those prayers from Ephesians for yourself and for our church? Are you in a growth group so that you can grow? Ben, I've never been in a growth group before. I don't know where to start. Well, thanks for asking. I've got a brand new growth group starting up in Term 4. Let me tell you about it. Ever since I've arrived, I've been saying to people that our 8am service here at All Saints the six to ten committed people who make up that congregation function as a very healthy growth group but as an unsustainable church service. 
And as of this morning, our 8am congregation is going to start meeting as a growth group. Every second Wednesday night, here in this building. So our 8am congregation will no longer happen, for the rest of this year at least. But we have a new growth group. And it means that we're going to be welcoming some of our 8 o'clockers into this congregation. So keep your eyes peeled for those people. And if you want to join a new growth group, it's going to be fortnightly on a Wednesday night here in this building. Come and talk to me. We'd love to have you. Are you committed to growth? Are you committed to loving each other as a family? Being willing to give up things for one another? Putting others ahead of yourself? And how might that shape your Sunday morning when you come to church? Friends, inside your bulletin this morning I've given you ten ideas for putting the mini back into ministry. Ten ways that you can think about your own service of Jesus and his people. Simple things, but profound things that you can do to help your contribution to church life be powerful and effective. And here's the beauty of it. One thing you'll notice about today is that on the back of the bulletin, events coming up in our church, blank. Here's where I pretend that this is amazing strategic thinking on my part and not the fact that I had a bad day on Thursday. It's a blank bulletin. You don't need an event. You don't need a calendar date. You don't need a structure. You have a clear week to think about how you might implement one or more of these things to contribute to our common life together as Jesus' people in this place at this time. And what might God do if we were to implement these things together in response to what he's done for us in Jesus? Look at his love. Look at his humility. Look at his service. Why don't we pray together as I read to us Philippians 2 once more. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.